Happy Resurrection Day. We thank God for um, this opportunity to come back and be with you one more time. We uh, we did uh, we had uh, Easter sunrise service this morning at the church, and it was the first time that we've been able to be together in probably over a month. And what a glorious time and day that it has been thus far. And I really wasn't going to do anything else today, but we were on our way back home and. Um, I just felt like I wanted to do this, and I don't know how much preaching uh, we'll really do during this, and this is probably just going to be an informational overload, but uh, I just want to go through the history of the resurrection and uh, the studies that we've done and uh, things that we've collected over the years, and we just want to talk about them for just a few minutes, and we'll probably post this later on in the evening. Um, uh, every, lots of people's having drive-in sunrise service, and uh, some folks is having 11 o'clock, and um, thank God for all of our sister churches, everything that they're doing, uh, all that they're pouring in, um, and and all the pastors that's uh, and, and deacons and and all the body of the churches, all the Facebook uh, shares, and um, it's important, man. We've got the gospel out in the last month, and I thank God, praise God for it, and uh, I'm glad that we can set aside. Uh, differences uh, to achieve uh, achieve what we want to achieve for the kingdom of Christ because that's that's what matters. And uh, but uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to read along with us. I've got several more scriptures that I'm going to uh, quote and go through right here. But I, I just want to talk about the resurrection and how important it is uh, to the church. And today. Uh, you know, it's been said many times before, today's the Super Bowl of the church. Uh, as far as importance is uh, and the relevancy uh, and, the, uh, and how the, the criticality uh, and the significance that it has on the church, this is it. Uh, this, this right here is what it all boils down to. The purposeful plan of redemption that God has executed through His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, um, I, I'm going. To, I'm going to talk about several different things right here. And, and this may be, like I said, this may be just for me. Um, I'm a writer. I like to sit down and write things. And um, and a lot of people uh, don't like to read. And so I'm just going to. Um, I'm just going to put it all out there uh, on on the studies. And you know, there's there's two things that Christianity has to have. They must have the existence of God, and then they must have the resurrection. If just those two things are true, then Christianity is true. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And we know that, uh, uh, listen, we can prove through uh, biological, geographical, uh, all the uh, medical information, the, just the, the construction of the human body, uh, we can prove the existence of God. And so when we move beyond the existence of God, there's one other thing that we lack. We've got to prove that the resurrection is true. And we were looking at facts of antiquity and, and the historicity of the Scripture and everything, this canon of the Word of God that God has uh, preciously concealed and kept preserved for us down through, the, uh, through, through thousands of years. Uh, is is nothing short of a miracle in and of itself. 
But listen, I just want to get this information out. And um, uh, I, I love to uh, follow apologists and, and people that spend their, there's people out there in the world, especially in the world of academia, that uh, they spend their entire life and, and they've written uh, hundreds of books just on the resurrection. And uh, I just want to take and, and get all this information in one place and try and push it out as quickly as I can, especially in a, a video that I hopefully that you can digest in a short amount of time and encourage you to go back and listen to it multiple times. And uh, listen, there, there, there's so much that we can learn from this and this redemptive plan that God set in motion before the foundation of the world ever was. Uh, and we need to understand that. Uh, and, and, uh, and I've written several things and, and read a lot of things uh, on, on God's characteristics and, and the things that uh, that he has uh, demonstrated to us. And we, we need to understand uh, in its entirety all these things. We talk about so oftentimes the characteristics of God. We talk about his omnipotence. We talk about his omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnibenevolence. But when we look at uh, his omnipotence. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, 18, he said, Behold, I have all power in heaven and in earth. David approached him in one occasion and he told him, he said, Lord, he said, I want to build you a kingdom. And 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 the conversation turned like this. And, and he asked him the question. He said, what would you build me? He said, for heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. You go read the conversation that God had with Job. Uh, and he asked him, where were you uh, when I designed and originated in all, uh, and listened, done all these things when I hung the stars in the heavens? And, and we begin to see uh, the wonderful majesty uh, uh, and the overwhelming powerful. Listen, he has all power. There's nothing that can be done that God cannot do. Uh, listen, and I'm glad, friends, uh, this morning, this evening, whenever uh, you take the time to listen to this. And I know that there'll be a lot of preaching, and I encourage you to go listen to all those other preachers. They're preaching their heart out. They're preaching the message uh, that God has inspired them to preach. And uh, uh, we should go listen to them. I just wanted to put this out there. I'm going to try and keep this as brief as I possibly can. But we, th we think about the omnipotence of God. So he's all-powerful. We think about the omniscience of God. And we think about the logical progression and the order of God's knowledge. Uh, we have uh, uh, God's, uh, ha he has stages uh, to everything. We, we have God's natural knowledge, God's middle knowledge, and then God's free knowledge. Uh, listen, in this, uh, we need to understand this in regard to the immutability of God. What does the word immutable mean? The means that God cannot change. And we're going to read a bunch of scriptures here in just a minute. But so we serve an immutable God. So that means that he cannot change. So what can he not change? And I'm glad that the redemptive plan is in that. And then we need to understand, uh, listen, when we understand God's natural order uh, of his knowledge, and, 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 I, and I'm reading a lot that I have written down right here, and like I say, I'm just trying to get this information out. I don't want to uh, miss anything. So what we see that uh, God's natural 
so we've got three logical progressions of his knowledge. You've got his natural, his middle, and his free. So he knows what, uh, listen, he knows everything that could uh, be created uh, within every potential circumstance, and he knows what every variable in that could be. So if he knows what could be, he knows what would be. So every creature that he could potentially create, he knows how they would freely respond. And this is a, the, the critical part of understanding this. God does not have to cause things to come to pass uh, in order for them to be true for him to know them with certainty. So listen, uh, there is uh, there's the, the things that he could create, the things that uh, would happen if he created them, and then he knows after he creates them how they will respond. So we see the, uh, the, the logical order that God demonstrates. Uh, listen, and uh, listen, these things that we know logically, we know that they play out different chronologically. Uh, and this is where we get into the plan and the purpose of redemption. And this is where we can take uh, absolute wonderful solace in the word of God. So once we understand things that God has given us, we can understand that he's omnipotent, that he's omniscient, that he's all-knowing. Uh, like he said, and, and the logical progression of his knowledge, he knows what could, would, and will be. Uh, and therefore, uh, we also know that he is omnipresent. And because of his omnipresence, that means that he is everywhere in all places at all times. And so because of his his omnipresence and his omnipotence in conjunction with his omniscience. He knows all things. He's all powerful and he was always present. And then we add into that the factor of his omnibenevolence. And his omnibenevolence is the fact, uh, listen, that he is all good and all loving and he demonstrates that, uh, listen, freely toward all men. So listen, then we get into understanding the history of the resurrection. We get into understanding the truth of the resurrection. I want to read to you uh, some scriptures that we have right here. Now we we're talking about the immutability of God. That means that he cannot change. So let's see. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3. Verse number six, he said, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not concerned. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, we need to understand. Uh, listen, this is in time. God lives outside of time in eternity. So, friends, listen, when God lives outside, time uh, is a method of measure that's presented for me and you. Time does not apply to God. God lives outside of time. So, friends, listen, when he created all these things, he cannot change. He is immutable. In James chapter 1, verse number 17, the Bible says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen. There is no variation in the God that we serve. God is not a man that he should not lie. In Numbers 23, verse 19. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Uh, hath he said and, uh, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall not make it good? Isaiah 40. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Psalms 119.89, lamed forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Amen. And I quote this verse often. 
And listen, Christ, I, I've said this, and I want you to hear me say this again. Christ is not the answer to our sin. So many people, they, they think that Christ just sprung up out of nowhere. I, listen, because we sinned and Christ was a response to our sin. No, Christ existed. The Trinity existed in a perfect state of aseity. That means that they existed alone outside of time before anything ever was. So Christ existed. The Spirit Spirit existed. God existed. And because they existed in a state by themselves, they are immutable. They are unchangeable. And but because they existed in this place, and this is the point I want you to pay attention to, Christ, uh, listen, he's not the answer to our sin. He is the redeemer of our sin. Amen. He existed in eternity past. Our redeemer existed in eternity past before we ever were. Amen. Listen, that's how important uh, that we understand the resurrection. Listen, Psalms 33, 11, the Bible says, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 13, uh, if we believe not yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now, I want to get back to this. Listen, uh, and, and Psalms 119, verse number 89, the Bible says, the, Thy word is settled in heaven. Now, listen, let's pay attention to the scripture. In St. John chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, the Bible said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So friends, listen to me. We need to understand that the Word, which is the incarnate of God, the Emmanuel that was born of a, lady, uh, of a laden Virgin Mary uh, in a little town called Bethlehem. Uh, friends, listen, He is the Redeemer. He is the Word of God. He is the Messiah. He is our all in all. Amen. Uh, so friends, listen, when we understand those things, now that we've understood the, the character and the order of God, now that we understand his knowledge and his underpinnings and his workings and how he, he, he functions among his children, we need to understand. Uh, listen, that's why the Bible, that's why it's important to understand in 1 John uh, chapter 4 when the Bible said not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation, the place of mercy for our sins. And because he is the place of mercy, for our sins, and it was forever settled in heaven. Amen. Now listen to this. I want to read to you this. First Peter, uh, chapter number one. We quote this verse a lot, uh, or quote these verses in, in First Peter chapter one, verse number eighteen. The Bible tells us this: For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from vain conversation received by tradition of your father, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen to this who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times for you. 
Why do we need to understand that? We need to understand that because, listen to me, Calvary was complete before this world ever was. The manifestation of Calvary, uh, listen, the, the thing that we celebrate, the manifestation of Calvary, uh, listen, it is the chronological progression of what logically has already taken place. Amen. Well, I'm thank God that it's forever settled in heaven. There was nothing that was going to change it. It was an absolute certainty. Not only was it a certainty, it was a necessity. There's a lot of things that can be known with certainty, but there's only one thing that is an absolute necessity. The only necessity that exists in this world is his son, Jesus Christ. What is it? What defines a necessity? You cannot, it cannot be any other way. You see, friends, this to me. I, I, God knows for certain the things that I will do, but that does not make me a necessity. But Christ knows for certain, uh, and he knows with necessity, uh, the implication and the importance of the purpose of the resurrection and the plan of God's redemption. You see, it's absolute necessary. We cannot be any other thing without it. It's a necessity. Friends, listen, now I want to just talk to you. Uh, The Bible said uh, uh, in Ephesians chapter number one, verse number four, it says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, uh, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. And I'm not going to talk about, uh, listen, corporate uh, election right now. Listen, this is not talking about individual election. This is talking about, uh, he's talking about electing the church, the redemptive plan that he executed on us for the church. And, And I'll get into this as we study through the book of Romans and we're working through it and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Listen, John 17 verse 24, the Bible said, Father, I will that they also, whom that thou givest me, be with me where I am that they may be my, behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Amen. Uh, In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 9, who hath saved us. Amen. We've preached on the word save, the Greek word sozo who has saved us and called us within holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began amen uh, listen uh, now the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1 10 uh, but, it, uh, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ so listen uh, it was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but it is now made manifest by the appearing, the manifestation, the incarnate of the second person of the Lord Jesus Christ by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. Romans chapter 1 verse number 16, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. Uh, Listen, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 3, for we which uh, have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The works were finished 
from the foundation of the world. It's not as good as done. It was done. Amen. That's what we need to understand. Friends, listen to me. God is immutable. That means that God cannot change. Uh, listen, and once the execute, uh, listen, once he executed this and put this thing in motion, his immutable characteristic, uh, listen, uh, uh, is flourishing, friends, today. And he's just bringing to pass the things which we already know. Listen, and that's why. That's why, friends, listen, we can take solace in the fact and know and know and know and know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Acts 4 and 12, for there's no other name uh, uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Uh, friends, listen to me. Old Testament, New Testament alike. You've got to come through the blood of Jesus. Amen. But I'm glad that it was a redemptive plan that was, uh, listen, that it was finished before the foundation of the world. And friends, listen to me. I know that that's uh, probably talking about a lot of things that most people probably don't want to hear. And I understand that. I, sometimes I just, uh, my head uh, uh, builds up steam like a kettle and I just got to spew it off. And uh, listen, so I apologize, friends, if it's something that you don't want to listen to. Uh, but for some, you may. And so I want to read this to you in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a creedal statement. Uh, and what I talk about when I mean creedal, and I'm going to try and wind this up in 10 minutes, and we'll keep this video 30 minutes. This is a creedal statement. So uh, listen, there's a lot of things, especially our younger people, or things that I said when I was maybe coming through high school, or things that you said when you were coming through high school, and people can assimilate those creedal statements to a year and to a time by some events that were transpiring and taking place. Uh, just like 20 or 30, 50, 100, if time stands, who knows how long, they can look back to the year 2020, they can see this COVID virus and this infection, how it shut down the world. They can see the creedal statements that originated from an event. And so friends, listen, this is a creedal statement that Paul recorded to us in 1 Corinthians 15. In, in verse number one, the Bible says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. It says, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. How that Christ died for our sins, hallelujah, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above, uh, five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain uh, uh, unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, or they've died. After that, he was seen of James, then of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, also born uh, uh, as one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, friends, listen. I want you to understand something, friends, today. When we talk about the facts or we talk about, uh, listen, what is required from an antiquity in uh, perspective, when we look at historical documents, they, there is a process of, of antiquity that must be applied uh, to those documents. And so, listen, friends, Alexander the Great, which we all learn about in history, uh, listen, the closest there, listen, he was 33, uh, 330 B.C. is when he lived, the earliest source uh, listen, it's 300 years 
uh, uh, listen, uh, A.D., uh, so almost 600 years removed from his death. Uh, friends, listen, Pluto is plus 450 years. Tiberius Caesar is 85 years. We can date this creedal statement in 1 Corinthians 15. We can date this within six months of the cross. Amen. Within six months of the cross. Uh, so listen, Paul wrote this. This happened to him on the uh, uh, and he penned on the road to Damascus, which is approximately two to three years after the resurrection of our Savior. And we have this language penned. Uh, friends, listen to me. I want, I want you to get a load of this. Amen. Uh, friends, uh, we have, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, on many occasions, uh, the uh, authenticity of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, ancient historian Paul Mayer, uh, he said this. He said, many facts of antiquity rest on just one source. One. <laughs> Get a load of this. While two or three sources in agreement generally render the fact unimpeachable. Two or three. Amen. Two or three. Now, Get a load of this. There are 5,843 reliable New Testament Greek manuscripts. There are 2,000 uh, Armenian. There are 1,000 Coptic, 6 Gothic, 600 Ethiopian, 10,000 Latin, 350 Syriac, 43 Georgian, and 4,000 Slavic. There's nine ancient sources other than the Bible that record the fact uh, on 12 different occasions people saw Jesus alive and well after he was killed and one occasion alone in the presence of 500 which Paul just wrote to us about in 1 Corinthians 15. Friends, listen, I'm telling you something. I'm glad, friends, today that uh, we've got history on our side. We've got scripture on our side. I've got the witness of the Holy Spirit on my side. I'm glad, friends, that, listen, that this is an unimpeachable fact. I'm glad that I can take solace and I can take a peace and reservation and knowing that Jesus is alive and Jesus is well. I don't need all these artifacts of antiquity to prove his resurrection because I believe that he's real in my heart. But I'm glad from a historical perspective, from an antiquity perspective, from a historicity perspective, uh, Francis, all those that stand against us and they say, well, it's just uh, uh, it's just made up and we can go through this too. Uh, listen, they say that the, that the crucifixion of Christ, that it was, they call it, the, there's five different things. They call it the swoon theory, the stolen body theory, the delusional theory, the collusion theory and the woman account theory. So friends, listen, we go through this. Listen, they call it uh, the swoon theory. Uh, and they say that, uh, that, that people, that they was just a uh, grand uh, and uh, uh, undeniable uh, point of hallucination that taken place. And uh, listen, I love this, and, and I encourage you to go watch this movie. Uh, listen, you can uh, watch uh, A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's on Netflix. I, I encourage you, Lee Strobel is one of the leading apologists today uh, on the resurrection. This is what he's spends his entire ministry uh, essentially following and doing it. And that movie gives a lot of this uh, same uh, thing. 
But listen, we get on to the swoon theory. Uh, the, the, and I'll get to some doctors right here in, in just a minute. But uh, the, the swoon theory would, uh, would imply that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Well, uh, the Journal for American uh, Medicine, uh, the American Journal of, of Medicine, they released in 1971. They published an article uh, that said, uh, without question, uh, without question, uh, that Jesus died on the cross. They said uh, that the scourging and the flogging, uh, listen, it would have created appreciable blood loss. What would have said in hypobolemic shocking, which is a severe, a severe blood loss, which is twenty percent or more. Uh, this and, and it would have uh, made the heart unable to pump enough blood uh, through the body. Uh, listen, they give this description once affixed to the cross, uh, the depression of the diaphragm. Uh, listen, as he was postured in the inhale position, uh, would make breathing only possible by forcing an upward thrust. And there we see uh, the description defined in Genesis chapter 3 when he said, uh, he said, thy head shall bruise his heel. Uh, listen, I'm talking about when Christ would dig his heels into the cross and he would uh, lift himself up as he cried seven utterances from the cross, and we'll read them in just a minute. But we see this wonderful, as he was bruising Satan's head and suppressing all the powers and the wickedness that had put him on that tree, they thought they were killing Christ. They thought that they were stopping the establishment of a kingdom, but they had no earthly idea. The only thing that they were doing was fulfilling God's plan, which is recorded in its entirety. If you go thoroughly read and, uh, and read the canon of the Old Testament, you'll find uh, that it's explicitly detailed. Uh, listen, we have Roman crucifixion that is written about before crucifixion was even invented. Uh, listen, we have a manner of, of death and crucifixion uh, which the old prophets which were moved on by the Spirit of God. If we believe the Word of God, they were moved on by the Spirit of God. They wrote these things, were revelated uh, listen, but the Bible says once it fixes the cross, uh, the depression of the diaphragm uh, in in the uh, postured position. Uh, listen, uh, it would posture him in the in in the inhale position. So uh, breathing is only possible by forcing an upward thrust to allow oxygen uh, to eat, to ingress. And then hypovolemic shock rendered the body uh, physically unable to lift itself to allow it uh, uh, allow in uh, breathing possible. Death finally. Uh, being rendered by uh, asphyxia or suffocation and cardiac arrest. Uh, listen, and we get to this right here. Uh, uh, the history report says this, that uh, the collapsing lungs, the failing heart, the dehydration-induced cardiac arrest, and the inability to get oxygen to the tissues suffocate the victim. Blood. Friends, listen, in the Journal of American Medicine, they come out and they said it is without question the swoon theory is absolute garbage because Christ lived and Christ died. Amen. Friends, listen, now we get on to the stolen body theory, which is they say that the hostile witnesses that they came and they stole away Jesus' body, the delusional theory, which they say is even a greater miracle than the resurrection itself. If you have mass hallucination taking place, then we have a Roman collusion. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. It would cause death by those guarding the tomb. 
It would cause death. And, and listen, there was no way, no way that the Romans would have played into and further escalated uh, the, uh, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And finally, we get to the woman account. Uh, listen, uh, and if anything, we have Mary Magdalene, which we preached this morning uh, at sunrise service. Uh, friends, when she went down to the tomb and she found it empty, why seek you the living among the dead? Amen. Uh, friends, listen, we get down to that place and we understand women had uh, no respect in those days, especially a woman probably of her stature, just to be truthful. Uh, so friends, listen, if the church wanted, uh, if they wanted to lie about something, the last thing they would have done was went through a woman. But thank God, friends, listen, we have text on our side. We have time on our side. We have proof on our side. Most of all, hallelujah, we have the word of God on our side. Amen. Oh, friends, listen, I'm glad for what I know and what I feel in my heart. Amen. I'm glad that we can take a, 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 a wonderful promise in the fact that we know that our Savior lives. I want to read through these just briefly. Uh, and then I'll be done, friends. Thank God uh, that we have this opportunity. What a privilege. What a pleasure. And we go through this. We'll close with this. His seven utterances on the cross. In Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In Luke 23, 43, he said, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that's another topic we'll talk about in another time. In John 19, 26 and 27, he was uh, uh, having a conversation with his mother. And he said, Woman, behold thy son. In Matthew 27, 46, he said, Elahi, Elahi, lama sabachthani, which is to be interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In John 19, 28, he said, I thirst. In John 19, 30, he said these words, It is finished. And in Luke 23, 46, he said, Father, into thy hands. I command my spirit. Thank God, friends, listen to me. And as he gave up the ghost, friends, listen, I'm glad that he's ascended to the Father. He's made the sacrificial atoning, redeeming price has been offered and executed what was established before the foundation of the world. Amen. Don't you forget about that. Before the foundation of the world. I'm glad, friends, listen, and as they encased and entombed him in a barred tomb, for we knew that it would not have any permanent residency. Amen. Friends, listen, and as he come victorious over death, hell, and the grave, that's what we celebrate today. That is what we take solace. That is where our hope, where our promise lies, not only in the death, not only the atoning, propitiatory sacrifice, but Glory to God, we take solace in the resurrection. Amen. Hey, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that's what Paul continues to write in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God bless you. Happy Easter. Thankful that my Savior is very much alive and he's very much well. God bless you is our prayer.